Hello, hello, Hannah Jean here with uh, Confidence Through Cabaret, the podcast. Oh, I am so excited for this episode. This is going to blow your mind. I am here with a very dear friend, uh, uh, an amazing, inspiring coach. Uh, and you, we have had the conversation with my guest before, but this is part two. This is, I want to say the arrival, but I don't know, do we ever really arrive? So my guest today is Geneva Livingstone, is a compressed grief survivor, which means that her family suffered losses of three lives in less than two years. So one of those losses was her one and only son. And we will talk about that and going through what that means and what grief is about in this episode. And with Geneva, after taking her time to heal her own grief, she's now made it a mission to compassionately mentor those who are in the transition of their life that they once knew and that they are now is their new reality. They're forced to live, you know. And as Geneva says, grief is hard, especially because grief is not limit linear. Get my words out. It's Monday morning as I'm recording this. Oh my goodness. I am so happy. Please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Geneva, Coach G in the house. Hello. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you as well. And, you know, we recorded an, an episode with you. Like, it was one of the first episodes we ever recorded. And you had a whole different business. And, you know, I, I love this journey that you're on and the transition that you've made to helping and mentoring people to go through grief. So beautiful. Oh, I know. It's a heavy <laughs> subject, but, but we're going to talk about what this transition means. So, so what is grief, Geneva? It is... The definition I use is a very uh, broad one, but I think it's so necessary that grief is the loss of anything you deem important because people have a tendency only to look at grief in response to the loss of their person, their loved one, their pet, death, bereavement, but it is so, so much more than that. So much more than that. It is. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the loss of a loved one is what is the catalyst for, for grief. But it's not only or always that. You That's know, right. I experienced grief when I left my abusive marriage. You know, who mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be, who I, mm -hmm. who I thought that, that or what who I thought I was in that relationship, you know, it was just so yeah. it was it was like an identity crisis, which is a form of grief, right? You get it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even like us being moms, um, your children get big, and you're left sitting there saying, "Who are you now?" Oh, yeah. who are you? What what? what do you do? You have lived your whole entire life as the soccer mom, as the PTA mom, as the mom who did all the things. And now you don't need to be in your children's space as much. They don't have grandchildren. So you haven't transitioned into that role yet. So what do you do? And who are you? And if you're not married, you're alone. And you're just you keep working, 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 and you don't stop to reassess this new space of your life. It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 they, they all amount to some form of an identity crisis, right? Like, yeah. like, who am I in this moment? I, I, I remember because my husband passed away three years ago last month and it was, I mean, that was, it was a, a surprise, although he had Alzheimer's, so it was only going to go one way. Um, yeah. it, it was going to 
in my head, last for another 10 years, at least, you know, um, probably in a nursing home, probably. So I was preparing myself for that kind of bereavement of what, you know, changed in my life because I would then be on my own. Um, and in that same, the next month, I, I had my final child leave home. And uh, because my finances were very much run by my late husband, I found out that there was a massive amount of debt. So I had to, I lost my home. I had to move to a much smaller home, which was no longer my family home, but I didn't need that because I had my children were gone. And, and, and then I was in a car accident while I was doing the move. So I had neck and spine injuries. And, you know, all of those moments, not to mention yeah. the fact that they happened in a matter of weeks, but, but all of those moments were mm -hmm. well who am i now who am i that, that i live in this place who am i that my children are gone who am i that you know I, i'm no longer healthy i can't do my aerial you know so many different moments of that yeah. and my temptation because COVID happened so i started to get well in the december and then COVID happened in the march so yeah. uh, you know i never really got into that space of being able to fake it and carry on and just bury myself in work it was mm. full on face the reality right there. You know, I think of COVID as a real gift because it made me go through that. And I never would have. Mm. So uh -oh. you, you have, um, have come across people who have ignored that because they didn't have the blessings of COVID or something similar. What, yeah. Why? What makes us do that? What makes us just kind of try and carry on? I think what happens is it's just what you know, and you go into the default mode of what you know. So if what you know is work, you get up every day and you just do it because you know that that is the one consistent thing that you have for yourself right now. doesn't matter how you feel. You can take all of that energy and you can force it into just putting your head down and burrowing through, you know, like the mole into the sand kind of thing. Because as long as you keep going and your mind is still racing, you don't have to think of anything. Then before you go to bed is when it all happens, but you're in bed. So it's safe. Nobody's there to see you. Nobody's watching you. So if you cry and you soak your pillow you're fine. It's all good. It's all good. Right. And then you get up the next day, you put on your happy face. Everybody asks you how you're doing. Oh, I'm okay. You know, and that is your loop because it's comfortable. It's easy. And as long as you're busy, you don't have to worry about people stopping you too much to get into your space. So there's not too much stuff you have to face. If you're that type of person, <laughs> that's the other part. If you're that type of person. I think for me, the, the people being supportive in, in times of that bereavement and transition and, and pain, I think when we put on the happy face, then people say, you're so strong. I hate it when people say that and I know their intentions are good so I try and remember that they're trying to be kind and and generous but oh my goodness I hate it because I don't want to be strong but here's the question what's the alternative that's that's true and honestly I call them grief platitudes and there are countless amounts of them out there Nobody talks about how to support a griever. We have just always done it. Nobody talks about what to say and what not to say. You can Google it, but let's be realistic. Unless you've gone through that process in some way yourself, you don't know what's offensive to the griever. You're just trying to show up for them, you know. And death is something that's around us. So people are like, oh, it's just kind of what we've always said or what we've always done, you know, because nobody has stopped the world to say, hey, listen, this is not how you speak. 
<laughs> there are things that you say, things that you don't say. And again, they could Google it, but that's not their mindset. Their mindset's not, oh, hang on a second. Let me go and see what I should say to Heather. So let me Google before I show up at her house. You know, um, I was just telling my, my crew on my wolf pack on Instagram that you are a very powerful person because we've already gone through the, <clears throat> the hardest thing we could go through already. And what is it to tap into that power that's inside? It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Nothing will ever be harder than what I've done. So when a person's looking at you, you're like, oh, you're so strong. It's just to say, well, I couldn't do what you're doing. No, because it hasn't hit your life. But once it does, yeah. you'll do what you have to do, like you said, to get through. For those of us that make that choice, because alternatively, there are people who end up taking their own lives. They can't bear it. So there is a question that I don't think I ever understood because I didn't cry my whole adult life. Okay. Happy face, happy face, happy face, toxic positivity all yeah. the way. I was very happy. I was, I was, you know, I loved having my children. I've had my business for 26 years. So I've always had my business that my children can remember. And I loved traveling the world. I loved the work I did. I loved yeah. being able to be free to, you know, be there when my kids had concerts and everything else. Um, and that question about, you know, um, you know, would you die for your children? I think most parents, if not all, would say, yeah, you know, I, I, would, I would trade my own life for theirs. But the question yeah. that I came upon when my husband passed away was, but would I live for them? Mm. Good question. And you know what's very funny? A lot of people do say that. <clears throat> they say, oh, you know, I get out of bed because I have to take care of my children. They have not woken up to the actual aspect of living. They're functioning. They're existing. They're in the other because everybody loves labels, they're in the grief fog, you know, but are they living for their children? Not always. And then some, they've lost their only child. So their whole identity is now gone because that child was their best friend. They cared for their child, especially if it was along the anticipatory grief process where their child was sick and they knew and they had the expectation that something was going to happen. So they're, they bought him out. They're just like, I, I don't know what to do. Every day is a loop. It's five years. I don't care. I'm just waiting until I go so I can be reunited. Because what do they have to live for is the question. And I can't answer that for them. No, it's a it's a it's a really big question. And I think, you know, knowing your purpose, which is why I love your new business, knowing your purpose is essential, you know, knowing that it matters that you're here and knowing yeah. that these things happen for a reason or believing that those things happen for a reason, because sometimes it is a leap of faith. Yeah. Where and that's hard. Yeah, it is Sorry? hard. Where does hope come into your work? Um, you know, what's really funny is I don't even, I've never talked about hope yet. I haven't even touched it. Um, I think I'm more into really the thick of the transition to get people to see what is happening to them right now. And honestly, this is so funny because like I said, you've known me from, I think we met each other maybe May. So my son passed in January. So you were in that first six months of my life 
transition where I was like back at Susie, though I worked the entire time because um, I was in a, a grocery store, which was a necessity place. So I didn't stop. I, everybody shut down at COVID. Geneva kept going. I was that person that that looped. I had to keep my mind busy. Um, so what was I going to say? Yes. So one of the things that I found is out here, a lot of coaches, we are talking about like moving through, getting into the parts of hope. But there is a whole big space where we're not talking about mindset. And of course, I don't come up and say, hey, guys, let's work on your mindset. But I do talk about grief from the perspective of it highlights all of the things that you've been hiding. It really puts a spotlight on those issues. So how about how are you thinking versus what's running your emotions? Because when grief is not linear, your emotions can be up, your emotions can be down. But why is that? Because I didn't have those experiences with my grief. I was pretty even keel, you know, because I'm naturally a happy person. And I did this crazy thing. I did a crazy thing. I did a crazy thing. And the crazy thing was to look into positive intelligence. And I did an assessment about who my saboteurs were. All of them are under three. Like they don't even hit three, any of them. So I don't have those voices in my head needling at me. And then my positive intelligence in the vortex is 86% when the tipping point is 75. So imagine still functioning, looking at my mom, looking at my daughter, still working still tr like trying to navigate through all of this stuff but I wasn't a person who was only in my bed like I I had to be up I had to go and it wasn't until I did those assessments on myself that I realized why much like yourself because we are very happy and because we're really happy that energy is the thing that was able to take us through and that was like, whoa, what just happened? So I haven't even talked about hope because I'm still here. I want people to understand why they feel like the perpetual sadness of the, the grief abyss is thrown at their feet. And it's how do you think what saboteurs are messing with you in the hardest part of your life? Wow. Okay. So <laughs> you're like, Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> so, so I guess for me, um, and I'm happy to be wrong about it, Go but ahead. hope is still there in your oh, thinking. Oh, for sure. For sure. But like I was saying, it's not something I stopped to bear witness to. Yeah. Yeah. Right where a lot of um, other grief coaches, they actually lock into hope right away. That's just not something I've done at this moment because I really want people to understand their thought process in where they're at and how to navigate these small steps and not to take them all the way to the end. So there's hope for you to get there. There's lots of people that talk about that, but I want you to be focused here. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's a really great way to, to lock into and understand your thoughts because you're going to need in your future, you're going to need to know who you are, what you think. And also yes. to recognize the feelings, right? And let them happen. I think that was the hardest thing for me was letting the feelings happen mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. judging them. Because I felt lots of guilt because I was a full-time carer. I felt lots of anger. I felt lot, and, and I and I felt bad about feeling those things, right? So then I was like, well, what kind of person thinks those things? And I think, you know, we, 
And that would be the same thing if you had a career and you lost your job and you didn't see yeah. the prospects, you know, you would be, you would be still feeling like I should have done these things and there's still be some guilt and, and yeah. so on. And I think it's, yeah. it's about allowing those feelings without judging those. I work very hard daily on that. Honestly, you nailed it. That is why when I got into this uh, positive intelligence thing that is a journey for me right now that I won't even take a call with a person unless they've actually done their positive intelligence assessments. Because, for example, I had one fellow who on the 20th of March has been in my DMs on Instagram for a year. And his energy was very heavy. And I used to think to myself, like, what is it about this? Like, I'm a grief coach. I want to be here. Like, what is going on? Well, he did it. And his top three markers were full to 10. And then his, his positive energy quotient was 29, which means 71% of the time, he's getting hit very hard with those saboteurs in his mind. How is this working for him with his grief? And on top of it, he's a cancer survivor. So you expect him to have like a higher positive quotient. He doesn't, he doesn't. So this has allowed me getting people to take these assessments have allowed me the opportunity to see, like you had just mentioned, not judging myself. Well, is the judge one of your higher markers? that you and I have to talk through so that you recognize when it shows up, what is it sounding like? And how are you managing those emotions as they're coming because he's nattering at the back of your mind? And you know, I do a lot of work about the voices in your head. So you, you, yes. you know that I'm a very aware of all the different in fact last week's episode was all about the different voices in your head and i don't think i even realized quite how many until i was talking because i did the podcast on my own i don't think i realized mm. and i was like oh there's another voice oh there's another voice mm. you know it's 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 interesting when you are able to observe your thoughts and i think if you had talked to me about hope at the beginning i would have gone one of two ways i would have gone shut down or I would have gone toxic positivity, hope, 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 you know, optimism is my thing. And I, I think um, where I found that that ability to be able to, to know who I am and process and recognize thoughts without judgment was through gratitude. That, yeah. That's been a huge thing for me. Yeah, no, that that's good. But when you're getting a person that doesn't have our high, I, I swear, I just need you to do it, doesn't have that high positive um, quotient marker, that idea of gratitude is not on their radar, yeah. right? No. They're just like, I hate life. I hate the world right now. I don't understand why my only child is dead and I couldn't fix it. Those, yeah. those are, those are the hearts that I'm with. So when we're talking about going from pain to purpose, how we're working that through is what is the assessments? Let's deal with the voices so that you have some freedom to be able to move into and love forward into whatever purpose you're going to choose for yourself, whatever that is. You know, sometimes it's being able to get up out of bed when you haven't been able to do that for the last six months, eight months or a year. You know, if you're not handling your business, you lose your income. And yeah. so, yeah, so I'm just, yeah, I, I don't even throw the word hope in there. And like I said, I know a lot of grief coaches are doing that and it's good for their work. I think that the people that they might be working with are further along in terms of wanting to do grief 
like they think they're towards the end of it kind of thing, you know, like, all right, I'm right back to getting back to life, right? But the people that really draw me in are the ones that are in the abyss. They're really in the abyss. And and I just want to get in there and I want to shine the light. And I want to really shout from the rooftop that grief can be done differently. It's not about you feeling guilt, shame, or regret, which is what my first masterclass is all about, is that three, those three, because they're so damaging to our thoughts. Yep, they are. And they, and they're long, a lot of them are long-term, you know, every once in a while, I still have a little, it it gets less and less and less. And, but at the time I couldn't see that I was ever going to feel anything but guilt. Um, And every once in a while, it'll still come up and I'll think, oh, I could have, would have, should have, and all of those kind of things. And actually, the truth is I couldn't have changed anything. Um, I think it's interesting. So when my late husband first had Alzheimer's, he didn't want to live through that. And he had watched his mother pass away with Alzheimer's. So he had to go, knowing he had Alzheimer's, he had to go through watching her pass away from Alzheimer's which must be yeah. the, the most painful thing to go, this is me. Like, this is where I'm headed. And, yeah. and you know, I, I think we talked about it a lot because I know you're in Canada and I'm Canadian. And, I you know, we talked a lot about, you know, assisted suicide and that's not possible with dementia. Um, but I knew that he wouldn't have wanted to, mm-hmm. to live through that. So it's a tough yeah. one because there are things on the day or the days before that I probably could have done that would have prevented that. Um, but the truth is if he'd have, if, if he'd been of sound mind, he would have said, why did you let me, why did you let them prolong this? Do you know? And so, yeah. so I have this, this, this kind of, you know, I'm in between a rock and a hard place. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people um, know that their loved one, you know, would have wanted it this way. My mother played January last year and she just went instantly in a heart attack in the arms of two of the nurses in her care home. And I know that she would have wanted that. I know she wouldn't have wanted, you know, to be revived and then, and then live a, yeah. a, a more painful life, you know? So I think it's, it's an interesting one because that grief is for us. It's for yeah. our loss. Yeah. It's very, very true. Very true. And, and and oftentimes we put it onto that other person what we wanted for them, but it's what we yeah. want, like what I wanted for them. Yeah, you know? Exactly. You know, and the emphasis is on that I wanted, not them. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Awesome. I hear you because I had to make that decision when the doctor said to me, "We've done everything we can do," and I looked at him and I said. If you turn off all the machines, will he still live? And the doctor said, no. So I was like, okay, um, I just need 48 hours. And that 48 hours was when I revealed that he's in the hospital and he's going to be gone because it was 10 days for me. I don't know if I could have bared six months, eight months, a year of being back and forth at the hospital every day. I would have done it. Um, so I'm very, um, I'm very satisfied that my time for my own emotional, um, my own emotional bandwidth was was short. It was very, very, very quick. And I look at it for like everybody in my family because he was the second person 11 months after my very firstborn cousin had passed. And my aunt in her 70s had to say goodbye to her son, right? So here I am, family member two, going through this, this thing. And all of a sudden, neither one was um uh, what's the word um none of us were expecting it right so um i said okay 
just give me the two days to let everybody come and say goodbye. And then he told me, well, there is the option of doing um, uh, organ donation. And I said to him, if we were to leave him, what would happen? And he said, well, bacteria begins to ensue through all of the parts of his insides. And then he is just going to, you know, he's going to wither away. And at that moment, all I could think about was, I'm your mother. It is my job to protect you. You going through this would be for me having a place to go every day to look at you and ask, why is this happening? Instead of me allowing life to happen as it has played out for him. That's what I mean about the hardest decision that I had to make that was not about myself as much as I wanted it to be. So do I understand a mom who doesn't want to let go? Yeah. Do I have the boldness to call her selfish? Yes, I do. Because to me, I'm going to judge like I'm not even I'm not even joking right now. I'm going to judge and say, are you doing this for yourself? Or are you doing this for your loved one? Now, if you turn off all the machines and they're breathing on their own, yes, you, yes, yes, yes. But if not, why are we making our loved one be a placeholder for our seed of emotions? And that I know is a very controversial thing to say, but I'm very serious when I talk about doing grief differently because you're taking, like you said, our expectations and our wants and our desires, and we're throwing them on top of our person who can't handle that anymore. But we're like, nope, you're going to do it. Those machines need to stay on. I'm coming to see my son every morning at five o'clock before I go to work. Don't you dare take him from me. He's gone already. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a different thing if, if they said there's some hope, there's some, you know, some, yeah. some, some road back. Yeah. But it, it, it is, it is selfish. And, you know, I think for anybody listening to this who hasn't had that experience, maybe we started off talking about things like empty nest. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I would love to to have kept them forever in my home and played with them and but that's not why I had children it wasn't for me and I know yeah. that some people are parents who have children for themselves I think my daughter mm. had had um a child for herself that at first um mm. because that's what what made her feel good and I think you know most of us in some way you know we start off that way I want children you know but yeah. then you make that choice of are they mine or am I raising yeah. them to be these independent people who have their own journey mm. and am I going to block that because yeah. that's their journey and this is mine that's so true that's so true yeah and you can hear kids screaming at their parents like, you don't have to come here every day and cook for me, mom. I left home on purpose. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Well, yeah, my son is sitting with me here. He just turned 26 uh, on Saturday. And he, he, he's always, you know, he was really young when I, would, when I would find it very hard to have the patience of having four of them. Mm. Uh, and the trials and tribulations of that, I, I would, I, I, he would say, well, I didn't ask to be born, you know, which is an interesting thing. Like, you know, you made this choice and because you made this choice, this is what it means. So deal with it, mommy. Now, now give I, me what I asked for. <laughs> now I have my, and now I have my own life. Yeah. And, you know, you you gave me that, but now you gave me that. Like, it's mine. <laughs> no, it's mine. Don't you know I'm your mother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I always say, yeah. you know, I should get presents on their birthday because I did the thing. The hard work. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, it, but it is, it, it's really true that, you know, you, you, when, when you, when you give life to somebody and whatever that means, even if it's, you know, you, you've raised them or you've been their partner or you've been their daughter or whatever has, you know, you've infused into their life. Yeah. It's still your life, still your journey, and that's and that's that's a separation. And and I think when we make those kind of decisions, like had you kept the machines going for yourself, then you're only yeah. thinking of your own journey. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's so so true. But again, that just that power of being a mom came in at that moment, and it was like, this is protecting him. This is loving him because, you know, when they talk, talk to you about bed sores, you know, coming up and he's getting, he's already lean. He's, you know, he's like six one. He's already super, super lean and he's getting leaner and leaner and leaner every day. I'm just like, I'm your mama. This, I, I can't do that to you. I can't. I can't. I already had that decision before I talked to my daughter and my mom about it. But they were like, all of us, none of us, none of us, as you were talking about how your husband felt like he did not want to be the way his mom was. None of us would have wanted that. So it was a unanimous, go ahead, go ahead. But it was still at the end of the day, my decision to say, this is what's going to happen. I just included them. <laughs> you know, right? and, and that's yeah. necessary as well. Is that? And this is this is the problem that I encountered. I didn't ask for or accept help, even when it was okay. offered, or even when mm. I needed it. That's that. That's my that's my soloist imposter voice going. Ah, don't do yeah. it. Don't you, you? You can do this on your own. Um, and. And I think, you know, having a support network around you is yeah. important. Having their input, having them kind of witness and validate your decisions is important. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And um, when you look back and you had that, would you have gotten to the same end having the support? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't possible for me anyway, because my family live in Canada. Um, mm. And he didn't have any family um, alive anymore. So there was oh, no... okay. So it would have been friends. And the, the support would have been from my children. And I couldn't mm. ask them to make that decision. All I could ask them to do was accept mine. Right. Because it was... It, I, my 17 year old son, he was 17 at the time, he found him and I was away mm. in, in Ireland. So, um, so I, and I still, I think that's probably where my biggest guilt is, is, is in that, is that kind of like, why wasn't, why, why wasn't I there? And I know why I wasn't there and it, and it was sure. actually terrible. And so I, I, I think, I think the biggest guilt is that, that that was preventable because that's now in his life forever um and it was very horrific um and that's now his journey and that's the thing i can support my son's journey yeah. through that pain mm -hmm. but i can't take it away right right yeah and that's what i mean about we all have our own kind of journey with that and i have i have very clear boundaries <laughs> good, you know good. because because we have to it's it's you know i have i have a certain amount of guilt that's my journey um, I, but I, and I can support him through what he has to go through. I can't live it for yeah. him. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's the part, you know, we have this uh, phrase about holding space and the holding space. I, I don't know if people really truly understand what that means, but it means widening yourself for the person to be however it is that they need to be, feel what they need to feel 
and all you do is create the safe place for them to do all of that. So you're so right in holding that space for your son. And before we were talking, you were saying, I, I thought I was going to have 10 more years, right? So taking your business trip out was because you thought you were going to have 10 more years. If somebody had said to you, you know what, it will be 60 to 90 days. Like, do you think you would have taken that trip? You wouldn't have. You would no. have been there. You would have been there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I wouldn't have. That, that whole concept of, um, you know, for you to feel that weight of guilt when your thought process was like, oh yeah, 10 years, I'm going, I'm going to be in this moment is very, is very, very different, which should at some point come to a place, have you come to a place where it's like, but I can't feel because I was looking long-term and long-term yeah. he was there. And so was I. Yeah. And I know in myself that I never would have made that decision and gone and left my son to, to deal with it. I never would have made Oh that no, decision. no, I'm not even talking about your son. Like yeah. um and, being and in so that I, place. So I think I think that that, you know, my own journey, that's part of my journey yeah. is the decisions yeah. that I took and yeah. the expectations that I had and and I think even the lack of gratitude for the days that I did have. Mm. <clears throat> and that's my journey. You know, that's and and we all have our own. And yeah. we can have empathy for somebody. We can have sympathy for somebody. Yeah. But we, our our journey is our own, you know. And yeah. if you're talking to somebody who's been in similar circumstances, it's not the same. Theirs is Correct. theirs. That's their journey. Correct. I love that you said that. It, it must be difficult it. for you to not attach emotion to what your clients are going through when you have an understanding of what they're saying. You know, it's really interesting. I always tell them that I don't understand what they're going through. I'm, I'm very honest with that. I hold the space. I'm a placeholder. I hold the space. You come, I think with my clients, the thing they feel is the ease, that thing I wanted, even when I wanted to be a confident coach, you know, and I was all about the confidence and stuff. It was like, I'm a warrior on the field for you, you know, um, but I get to do that in the grief world where I get to create a safe space for them. And I am so brutally honest because that's the other thing with that, um, toxic positivity that I really learned from you as you were going through all of those um, all of those talks that you had about it is that I don't need to understand what you're going through and here's why you could have lost your son I could have lost my son everything could be exactly the same way but we're two different people two very different people and how we're going to process that information is going to be different. So if I look at you and I say, I understand, I'm lying. How about I create the space for you to understand and for me to be here to help you understand the process. As you're processing the information, I will help you to understand that but how you feel, I can never understand. And that right there, folks, is true coaching. True, true coaching. Because I have quite a soapbox about a lot of coaches that are that call themselves coaches and are not coaches. Mm. They are valid in what they do, but they are trainers, consultants, instructors facilitators you can call them a mentors and all of those things use very similar skill set but it's become a buzzword to have a coach or be a coach and yeah. oftentimes if your coach is telling you what to do if your coach is giving you the instructions about now you do this step and then you'll do that step that's not coaching 
what mm-hmm. you're talking about is coaching because you're helping them find their way to yep. reach their potential, to feel their feelings, and yes. you're enabling that. And that is what coaching does. We, as a coach, you should never be giving all the answers. Mm-hmm. You should be drawing that from the individual. Yeah. And I love that you have come into this fullness where you are still a confidence coach. Mm. It's just <laughs> in a different pathway. You know, you don't, you're not yeah. coming from the left, you're coming from the right, or you're coming or the front or some other way, right? But it's all <laughs> yeah. the same, it's all the same arena, it's just different sides of it. And you are helping them to find their momentum to reach their fullness in their life. And there's confidence. I agree. I agree. Like like I, I I'm so transparent about falling down the coaching certification rabbit hole. Um what January taught me was that's what I was doing because that's how I was walking through my grief. It was, I'm doing this. I already told my son that yes, I'm training on becoming a coach and da, 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 da. When my mom is like, uh, you've been doing it for 25 years. What are you talking about? I know, but let me get certifications. People just feel good if there's a paper on the wall, you know? So I went down grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. It felt at the end, like I had just come out of quicksand from hanging on and trying to grab onto this and do this and do this and do this. And yet, if I had started off with grief, I think I would only be half of who I am today. Because now, the fullness of stepping into being a mentor is so different than just Okay, so yeah, here's our coaching session. I've walked it. I have gone up the mountain, around the mountain, under the mountain. <laughs> Before I went through the pathway of the mountain. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, you need to do that. If you'd have jumped into grief coaching right away, it would have been yeah. really different. Yeah. I. You know what's funny? When I look back at um, some of the stuff, because I set up Instagram after my cousin passed away. So that was the third person. I got angry. I was angry at death. Like Geneva and death were going to have a fight that I was going to win. Like, are you joking right now? But that's my thought process at that moment. I was angry with it. So what did I do? I set up death etiquette and I, we started posting sayings on it. And then that was it. And then a few months after that, I was like, maybe I should be doing something else because that's the, the coach coming out. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up a little membership and then people can just go there and they can get what they need because I'll step it. It'll be beautiful. You can have a buffet, choose what you want. And then I'm glad that that didn't really happen because I watched one person sign up, but she didn't really do anything. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm a progress junkie and this isn't working. How come this other person's not a progress junkie? And I wanted to refund her money, but she didn't want to, um, she didn't want to take it. She's like, no, I love your work. Just, just, just keep it. It's okay. Don't worry. And I was like, okay, this membership thing is not what a griever needs. So let me go and get certified as a grief coach, even though I'm already in grief, because I didn't want my coaching to be about my own experience, which everybody asked me about my experience, but you know, I don't talk about it a lot because being a mentor and a coach isn't just about me. It's all about you. And so I don't have these long diatribes about what I went through. I'll leave it in. If you ask, I will share, but I'm not always talking about my experience, my experience, my experience, because 
to me, that's not serving you at the highest level of how I would want to be served myself. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people work with you then, Geneva? So there's, there's coaching that's one-to-one? Um, yes, but I'm going to take it to a one-to-many because there is the aspect of grievers needing to be together. We all feel like we're in our own little, our own little stars. So I want to bring the stars together into our own galaxy. And um, I want us to do it together so that you can see somebody beside you. Some people need that point of reference of, oh, what are you going through? And what are you going through? They're not like you and myself. They don't come from that soloist kind of thing in leadership. So for you and I to show up, it's different. And if I have a leader show up, you probably don't want to be around the rest of the crew because for yourself, you have very specific things that you want. You want to get in there. And so that's different, right? But others, they need the gathering together, which I I found really interesting. I found really interesting. So I am all on Instagram. I sprinkle on Facebook, but mostly I'm on Instagram. So you can connect with me there at Instagram forward slash death underscore etiquette. And I do a video on Monday. I do a live Q&A every Thursday. And then we have all the yummy posts in there and you can just message me. We can get on a call and we can go from there. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And you are death etiquette also on uh, Facebook as well. Um, Pinch of salt wisdom would be the face. Actually, I'm not death etiquette anywhere. I'm Geneva on, um, on Facebook. Are you? Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah, noticed yeah. it actually because I just feel like I've always known you. I've always just followed you. I've never noticed what I'm following, as in the name. Uh, yeah, exactly. Name. I know that face. Yeah, I am. I'm a face person. I'm not a name person. It's terrible. It's terrible when people. No names are important. I try very hard, but I'm I'm hopeless at it. Okay, so pinch the salt on Facebook. No, I am just Geneva Livingstone on Facebook. But pinch of salt wisdom is what the the name has come to. I love death etiquette. Somebody else has death etiquette, so I can't, I can't take it. Can't take it. But um, Pinch of Salt Wisdom on Grief is, is the name of our business. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So uh, in the context of what you're doing now. Yep. Um. And I don't know how I feel about asking these questions, but I love to ask these questions of each of my guests. And I'm curious where this is going to lead us. If you're performing cabaret, Geneva. So for me, cabaret is in a small venue with a small audience. So, you know, you go and see Dita Von in a massive theater. She will perform cabaret acts as in burlesque but she it's no longer cabaret because it is theatrical but but in a in a a small venue where you're intimate with the audience you're connecting with them and you could be singing dancing burlesque uh comedy uh drag king or queen uh contortion aerial any number of things how would you how would what kind of act would you want to do to express who you are right now Oh, it would be burlesque and feathers and diamonds and all things stockings like girlfriend, come on. <laughs> yes, it would. The beautiful high gloves, uh, everything that is personified beauty and femininity is my show. Is my Amazing. show. Amazing. <laughs> I'm not surprised about the gloves. We've spoken about gloves before. I'm definitely not surprised yeah. about feathers and and uh, gemstones so so burlesque and what and what what kind of what would you be portraying what would you be expressing what's your message in your in your your narrative in your act tease it's all about the tease yeah okay you see 
you don't see. You see, you thought you saw, you did not see. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, I love this. I love this. I genuinely striptease. And what one prop? You can have one prop with you. So you can have all the costume, but one prop. Okay. What's the prop? The prop is that big, huge, the feather fence. Because that is the tease. That is you see and you see nothing. I'm not even taking anything off. You know, there's no strip tease. It is just about those beautiful, big movements of the feathers around me, all over me. You may see, you don't see. Like I'm getting a full image now because I'm not surprised that you said about feather fans. But what color are they? Um, they would be red. I knew this. I knew this about you. I, I'm so excited that I. I don't know why I asked the question, but, uh, but it's almost like you know when you you know you can picture yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Okay, and what is your stage name? Please welcome to the stage. You know what? It would be my own name. Okay. It would be my own name. The description, I think, would be it. Please welcome to the stage the illustrious, the seductive, the, and here she comes. It's Geneva. <laughs> and it's Geneva. Yes. That. Yes. Yes. You get to breathe my name. It's Geneva. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's fierce. That is fierce. And I know you. that you get this, but I always encourage people to know their stage name. Mm. You know, whether that's a real stage name or a fantasy stage name, because that tapping into that, Geneva, yeah. is like, you know, there are so many times when I use my stage name as like, oh, I can't carry this or I can't climb this or I can't do this. And I feel weak or tired or ugh, fed up. And then I'll go, no, no, I can carry this. I can do this. I can climb yeah. that. And it yeah. gives me so much more power because our mind and body is so related. Yes. And yeah. I'm interested to know where where you find that power takes you when you need Geneva the most. Well, you know what's funny? That um, part of me in that seductress and soft role is how I need, she needs to come out periodically. It's the part of her... It's a part of me that reminds me that I'm a woman and, you know, being a single mom and doing all that stuff, you're go, 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 go. And sometimes you find yourself, which I never knew until um, I'm at the age I'm at now, is that you're so in your masculine energy all the time. You know, being a manager, you know, having the responsibility of people at work your company's expectations, your own expectations that you have for your children running your own household, to have her step out in the beauty of who she is allows that moment for me to remember that I just need to lean back, right? Like, actually, I know I said that my props were feathers, but it probably should just be a beautiful chef lounge because I'm not moving on the stage. I am laying on that thing and playing peekaboo with all my guests um, <laughs> because that's what she, she brings to the table is the softness and the beauty and the leaning back where I'm not doing anything, you know, peel me a grape, like... <laughs> That's it. My husband I, will peel me grapes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think I think what you're talking. Oh, we froze. So, 
when you think about, you know, yeah, we've frozen, we've frozen, but that's okay. I, All right, I got I, you. I, I think you. I'm still here. So um, I see you now. you're still here. There you are. Yeah. Um, so when, when you think about, and this is, this is what's relevant and what I recognize about what we've just been talking about, is you've got that peekaboo bit and you can see what I choose for you to see. Correct. And you don't ever get the full thing. You correct. You and 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 interestingly in burlesque anyway, because we as women we have to have as 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 um yeah literally as women we have to have pasties and a g string or merkin anyway. We're never allowed to be um, fully naked the way, the way men or strippers are. But <clears throat> anyway, that's a whole other subject. Let's not go into the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> But but I love that what you're talking about is that kind of you see what I choose for you to see or not. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's that. And and it's 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 so empowering for your clients to be able to have some access to you to understand, but not have full access to you because then it becomes about your journey. And then I can Correct. put my journey on top of yours and, and actually and hang off of that. It's not that. It's you got your own one. You need to peel away those layers. That's right. And that's it. That's what we do. Yeah, that's what we do. And that is like you have nailed it so beautifully. Is I am here to help you process your journey. Exactly what the transition is all about. That's exactly what it is to be fierce and do grief differently. Because Again, nobody talks about it. It's, there's hope. And yes, I get it. I get it. I get it. But I just see this massive link that is missing where nobody's talking about the grit. Nobody's talking about the mess. Nobody's talking about if we get your mindset, you have the world, even in grief. Like that fierce boldness. I don't really see that. I see a lot of kumbaya-ism and this is what I did. This is how I was. Oh, you lost your husband. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? When I lost my son and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This person was just telling you their story and listen because the conversation wasn't about you. It was about them. Oh yeah. <laughs> So that warrior still comes out, man. She's 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 got her knives. <laughs> there is, there is, I mean, you're you're wearing a hat today, but I still see you with the crown. I'm My tiara. Tiara <laughs> is is forever imprinted. That's how I that's how I see you. Even if you're not wearing it, I see it. Thank you. Yeah, I I just I really want to just take that bold stand for us to be fierce and do grief differently, mm -hmm. so that Thank we can you. have freedom. Really? Thank you for doing that. And I know that's a hard path. And I know that it was a hard decision to take it. But thank you for taking that path and, and being there when people need you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <sighs> wow. Okay. So I will put uh, Geneva's links into the show notes if this has triggered anything or if you'd like to find out more or just you know, follow Geneva. It, it, it is, it's a wonderful journey to follow Geneva. Um, <laughs> so, so do get in touch um, and, and, and make that connection. Ah, Geneva, I have loved chatting with you. It's been long overdue and I've been waiting for, for the right time for you to peel back the feathers a little bit and feel <laughs> a little bit more. I wanted the right timing. You're perfect. Honestly, you're perfect because you're right. It was, you were watching me step onto the stage when nobody was there and it was dark to see if that was even what I wanted to do. And then you watched me get little bits and pieces that were coming together as I was you know, walking my path of grief without even thinking that that's what I was doing. 
you know, who am I going to become? What is it that I need to do? And so you saw all of it right to now the finished, (laughs) the finished product, even though we will still grow and we will still evolve. And my work in this will just get deeper, bigger, stronger, more powerful and more impactful. But I've arrived. I've arrived into my show and you've been right there from the beginning. So thank you. I have, it is such a pleasure. I have loved following your journey and I will continue to follow your journey because I'm, I'm, I'm here for it and I, I love witnessing it and, and I benefit from it. So thank you. Oh, you're amazing. I appreciate you so, so much. <laughs> okay. Well, we would talk all day, you know that. So, yes. but um, you get in touch with Geneva. If you are listening to this on podcast, you'll find the video version on vodcast on Confidence Through Cabaret YouTube channel. Look on the vodcast playlist. If you're on YouTube, uh, before you leave, like and subscribe, and then you can listen to the audio version of this. And anyway, you get your podcast on Confidence Through Cabaret. And in both of those, the show notes and links for Geneva will be in there. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're listening or watching, thank you so much, Geneva. Coach G, love the attitude of the Coach G. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. You're so beautiful. It's just one last thing for me to remind you that it is your body and it is your world and it is your state. I love that. Thank you so much. I'll see you again. All righty, my love. Thank you. Thank you.